Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Welcome to Crunch Time. Delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Werribee, Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough. Grabbed by Hines, sends it to full forward. A hooker didn't fly with the others. And he stays at the back and it fell into his arms. He read it well. Bit of guile and experience from Kyle Hooker. And we finally have our first goal. Try and hit the target inside forward 50. Oh, Tip for Roddy. No. Hit the peg. Going back with a flight of the footy was Duday. Heavy collision. Still down. Away to Stringer with the handball. Stringer launches from 52 and nails it in game 150. They're on the verge of losing it, but they keep it alive. And Archie Perkins ignored his teammate again in Jake Stringer, but this time he kicked the goal. Smith got in and out with style, which enables McDonald, Tip and Woody to kick another for the Bombers. And the siren sounds. Oh, Jimmy. No worry, worry, as Lee Matthews once said. The Crows get the last oh. score of the game, but the Bombers Keep their finals hopes alive. Oregon, had, um, yeah, we showed some real maturity uh, during that game, and sometimes, you know, in those games, you can get a bit frustrated. That, you know, especially in that last quarter, we we yeah, would have obviously liked to hit the scoreboard in terms of our goals a bit more. But I thought the guys stuck at it and, and kept trying to play the right way um, for the whole game. So I was really pleased with that. The box office sizzle might have been absent as this one became a Friday night fizzer, but none of that matters to an Essendon team which continues to build. We'll go inside the Bombers' camp. McDonald marks, he turns, he pumps it to Petrarca, running back to goal. He marks, had a quick look in the rearview mirror. He was a metre clear of Aaliyah. Fritz, he was momentarily stunned. He went and got it, gave it to Pickett, and in a flash, the two players I mentioned have combined for a brilliant goal. Oh, Fritz reeled it in out of the air. Bailey Fritz, what a goal! And he's bouncing on on end from 45 metres out of his right boot. That is magnificent from Bailey Fritz. For those seeking hints of September legitimacy, Thursday night's performance by Melbourne was evidence enough that this team is ready for what's ahead. But what have Port's claims there on today's agenda? My team are, are amazing, and you know that's why I think, you know, from my point of view, it made it an easier decision as far as knowing that it's in good hands. Tougher because you're actually leaving a great team. But, um, yeah, look, it's felt like dog years the last couple of years, to be quite honest. I don't know how many times you're going to ask the question in a different sort of way or anything else, but I'm contracted the next year and I'm staying here. Bombshells everywhere early in the week. The changing of the guard at the AFL and Geelong and Hawthorne as they dominated footy's landscape. As the dust settles, those yarns and others will be kicked around on another big edition of Crunch Time. 
G'day everybody, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us this Saturday morning, wherever you might be joining us from. Andy Mars still filling in for Jared Wadley, who'll be back next week. So much to discuss after a huge week on the AFL landscape, a Friday night that didn't live up to Friday night expectations. A lot to look forward to. And who better to do it with than these three great people? Around the table we go, Justin Lepich. I thought you were going to be jumping out of a plane right about now, but it's good to see you here, mate. My daughter is, which is a worry. What, your 17 year old daughter asks you for a birthday. What do you want? She says, I want to skydive. Jeez, to, to actually put the credit card over to say, I'm contributing to this. Jeez, it's a worry. You're like, all the things, oh, let's hope everything goes well. Thinking about you, Ava. Jump are, well. Are you a jumping out of the plane type person yourself uh, or I, not? I did it until they said they're, they're a bit worried about everyone around the 100 kilo plus mark. And I thought, oh, geez, that's, that's me. Um, <laughs> right, maybe, that's, that's an out clause. Maybe, maybe that's an out clause for me. So I'm um, a bit worried the parachute won't open. Lovely to see you, Daisy Pierce. Are you a jump out of plane type person? You would be, wouldn't you? Oh, maybe back in the day, but no, I'm a jump off rock into river type person. Okay, if it's, yep. you're a bit more in control, but to go up in a plane where you're relying on gear, then I start to lose lose confidence, and I'm probably not doing it. Just <laughs> as a precursor of what's to come, I might ask Craig Jennings, who's about to join us as well, the same question. But from Thursday night, did you see something in Melbourne's performance the other night away from home against a contender? That does give you, as a if you are a Melbourne person, gives you confidence about what's to come down the track. Oh, I think so. I think that you go over there to hostile territory, Adelaide Oval against Port Adelaide, who are in the mix. Whilst they haven't had a great record against um, the, the top echelon of sides, they 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 were trying to work their way into it, and they lent into that furnace yeah. straight off at the ball up. You see Angus Brayshaw come crashing in um, off the line laying tackles, you just thought they've come to play. They're, they're not going to take a backward step here. So I think that, the way they lent in, is a positive sign come the back half of, or back end of this year. Keep going. What did you think of it on Thursday night, Craig? I've loved Melbourne all year. Yeah. So what I like about them at the moment is that when they win, they look right. They look like a team that um, are playing grand final premiership sort of football. And their losses, you know, the average margin in the three games are a goal and a half, but they're losing to teams outside the eight. And that doesn't stress me so much mm. because teams outside the eight to beat the best teams have to put in a lot of opposition analysis and take things off the opposition. But when they play the top four teams, Melbourne have been far superior in all those games in my mind when it comes head-to-head, both teams putting their game style on shows. I think Melbourne are a superior, and, and Petraka was part of the opening call. To me, Lepa, he's the Dustin Martin. So for years, nobody went near Dusty, and finally they've worked out there's a way to um, curb his influence on a game. And to me, Petraka's going to be winning Norm Smiths until teams work out that they need to put some time into him, serious time. There's a lot to – we'll get to Melbourne a bit later on. So they'll, they'll be deep in the show, and they'll be a, a significant part of our agenda, our agenda today. We do need to talk about last night um, – well, I know it, it does. It's a game that probably doesn't necessarily warrant too much dissection because it's pretty obvious that the gulf between the two. Um, and, and now people are suggesting that it should never have been fixtured for Friday night. But but for the last couple of weeks and the and the the Port Adelaide game earlier this year, that that was out of character for Adelaide this year, wasn't it? I mean, their form coming in to this suggested that they were going to be up at least for the contest. Was it more an ex? an exposure of where Adelaide's list is actually at? Or was it a bit more that the blue skies ahead for the Bombers are, are, are pretty bright? Oh, well, I guess there's two parts to every game, isn't there? What Essendon got out of it and what Adelaide. 
One thing with the Crows I was really surprised in, and I think they were so worried about the turnover game of Essendon that they just wouldn't go forward mm. as much as they normally do. To have only 12 inside 50s to halftime, it's, it's astounding, really. Um, so I just thought they game, maybe changed some things in uh, potentially the op-hour analysis side of things or, or said some things that often you can do that as a coach. You go into a game going, oh, this is what's going to go in to help us fix something, but potentially you could confuse players and make it worse and blunt a strength. And I thought that... That didn't help them as well. Didn't help, them. and their forwards didn't perform as well. But mm. it didn't help them. I don't think at all. I think you make a really good point there, Leper. So watching the game at the start, you're expecting to see a contest team versus a turnover team, and Adelaide always talk about the fight, but they had none of that. But I think what you're talking about during the week, the focus on uncontested marks, and mm. and the coach said it um, prior to the game that they want to start making the ground a little bit bigger. Um, and play some uncontested footy to make life a little bit easier. But what that can actually do is soften the team uh, mentally. Mm. So they're a team that prides themselves on the fight at being great at the contest, being hard and physical. But if the messaging all week is about an uncontested game style, sometimes mentally and Mm. physically that can make you go into a game a little bit softer and without that really hard, hungry edge that you need to win games of footy days. Yeah, I tend to agree with both both your points, and I think that that happens with inexperienced young sides. It happens with the best of sides that you review one thing and coach one thing, and if you think about the back half of their game the week before against Brisbane, they got annihilated on turnover late, having been in it. So then they they review that and they go, all right, we got to make sure we don't turn the ball over, and then you lose all your <laughs> your freedom and 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 speed that have made them look good and and helped them kind of take the scalp of teams like Melbourne. They played fast that day and it's what got them in the game. You review that, then suddenly you, you lose Tex Walker during the week. Elliot Himmelberg's are laid out. So the composition of your forward line's different. A young side isn't necessarily going to be able to adjust on the fly and go, all right, we're now real small up for, we've got to play quick to give ourselves an opportunity. And I think that will come with experience and it'll be the next part of Adelaide's evolution that you can make those adjustments on on the run and in moments. You made a really good point um, in your commentary last night, I thought, Days, um, and I'm paraphrasing here, but young teams, and you'll know this, Lepper, whatever you ask of them, they really over-deliver and that's what it looked like in that first quarter when they yeah. wouldn't go forward. They've been told, let's hang on to the footy, let's not just bomb it to uh, Essendon's intercept uh, defensive strength and allow them a, a fast turnover game and then they really over-delivered it. So it's part of the learning that you get balance in yeah. your game style. When, but young teams always over-deliver a coach's message. And if you look at just numbers, the AFL 18 uncontested marks, they've got 62 a game. They had 101 last oh, night. Mm. So if you, if you can't say that's a direct messaging that was over-delivered, and you can do that as a coach, you sit there and going, oh, take the contest. And they're like, <laughs> but you've told them all it will work. Yeah, but only when it's we need to. I'm not saying every time, but yeah. they do that. Players are so literal at times. And then you, you, you not waste a game. Um, you know, going through that, then you've got to review it again, saying we still want to go forward, yeah, but yeah. we just want to add another <coughs> string to our bow. So, And the flip side of that is what do Essendon go into the game thinking they know they're strong in terms of their intercept and turnover game, so their focus all week would have been on the stoppages, and I, I, you'll know better than me, Leper. Mm. I think they kicked five or six goals really early from, from stoppage. So Six uh, of their first seven were stoppage goals. Yeah. yeah, so it's a perfect storm in the sense one team's over-delivering in a way that uh, is impacted performance, and another team has really gone to work on a stoppage game to take a strength away from the opposition and they've done it in spades. It was a really good performance by Essendon. Are they doing enough Essendon? So we, I think we as the football collective think that their best is, you know, a year to maybe, you know, as they build this list and get games into this crop of young players they've got, 
So that that's still to be determined what the ceiling is for Essendon. But are they good enough if they get in this year? Are they good enough to cause a tremor or two? Not not from a premiership perspective. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to mm. sort of do that. But if they did sneak in, could they worry a couple of sides above them in the first week or two of the finals? I think, uh, well, for me, uh, their scoring profile is almost the reverse of Melbourne in a lot of ways. AFL 3 for points for, AFL 15 for points against. And, you know, Melbourne doesn't always get the scoreboard ticking over, but their defence is obviously what keeps them in game. So if I watch a game and I see Essendon keep teams to 21 points all the time, well, that's what they need to do for me to be a good finals team. Mm. Their attack's fine. You're right. They, they will worry people through their attack. But finals footy isn't about that. It, it, it's it's that extra level. It's that extra emotion. There's more crowd involvement. The butterflies are there. You, you're performing under more pressure, yep. which tends to be more mistakes often um, within games. So that's why your defence needs to hold up and then your offence take over at the end. So if they keep getting that balance a little bit more slanted this way where they keep oppositions to low scores, yes, I think they can make a difference. But... If they keep getting the high scores against, like they have high mm. scores for and against, the ping pong game doesn't last. Well, it might last one final, but it's not going to last consistently two, three, and, and four finals. Well, a good example of that the week before, a wet night down at Geelong, and they concede close to 100 points mm. against one of those teams that, that are in the window. Yeah, I think with Essendon too, I think bigger picture. So clearly internally, if you're a chance to make finals, you're doing everything you, you can but when you take a bigger picture look from the outside, I think, gee, if they stumble into the finals and then they get belted, Leopard, based on being a bit more of an uncontested game style, and then you can feel pretty comfortable in the off-season, potentially, that you've made finals. It's all going to happen the following year. And what we know, every single year, pretty much two teams that finish fifth to eighth from the year before usually fall out. So the way you approach your summer is really critical. And I think if they just miss finals, everything I see about Essen, every time I watch them, I think, he's a good player, he's a good player, he's a good player. Mm, mm. Just good players everywhere. <laughs> Don't rush to make finals and then get belted off the park necessarily. It might be better long-term if they just miss out, keep building, let the fact that they miss finals potentially really drive their pre-season, make them really hungry and and um, really have a good crack at it next yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. I think just time and continuity too. I mean, if, if, if you think just look purely at their back six, the, the amount of change there's been down there this year. I mean, Hooker's gone for, forward, Hurley hasn't played and Laverde and Stewart are new down there holding that back line down. Francis has been out of the side as well. So more time and time for that group to really establish themselves might address some of the issues they're having down there. Do you think Stewart's their long-term back? Like, I think it's been a good move. I think he's been handy. There's times on Jeremy Cameron, I thought, oh, last week before he went off, that's the danger period. And mm. he didn't look like his solid back. But you see when Liam Jones first did, it was like, well, actually, he might be able to do this for a period of time. There was enough signs. It doesn't mean you have to beat everyone every week. But is there enough signs to think he could be their long-term guy? Well, when you were talking then, I was thinking, well, what's the example at Brisbane? Because what we do know about footy teams and in all world sport, if you can play together a long time and have cohesion and consistency in your selection, it goes a long way to winning. So is there an example from your Brisbane days, somebody that, you know, maybe you weren't 100% sure of, but you get time into? So Harrison Petty at Melbourne's a good example. He's come in, uh, he's not the world champ, but by playing, you know, 10 or so games in a row and know that he's cemented in the team, and you saw what he delivered on Thursday night. So is there something well, in Noah that? Well, Noah Bolter's the re- most recent example yeah. of even the injury to Asprey for a long period of last year. He came in and then solidified his position. And before that, he played forward, back, ruck, yep. bit, bits of everywhere. So it, it is common. The easiest place for those type of players to settle is in defence. 
because yep. you know what's what's coming. You know what's in front of you as a forward at times. If you're not quite in tune with the game, it can just go around you for the, for the whole game. Darcy Parrish is going to join us out of the 12 o'clock news. There's some news out of Sydney um, regarding COVID, which I'll get to in a moment. Just one last one before we get away from this game. The Tom Duday going back with the flight of the footy, universally you admire the courage. Is there any but in the way you attack that contest? There is for me. Yeah. So what I teach my two young boys, so they're 9-11, is I don't want them doing that action. Now, the flip side of it is your teammates love it when you do it. But I think in this era, unless you're going back with the knowledge that you can hook around and, and, and intercept or get a spoil in, it just feels a little bit pointless to me. So I want to see players put body on the line on 50-50 contests. But that reckless going back, um, you know, it's something that I would try to coach out of players um, but some, some players, you know, they play on instinct. They don't know any other way. But I think there are better ways to do it than to be one short and now miss two games of footy. Yeah, I think it's your point's correct. I, th- I think as a coaching point, it's you want to expose your back to the contest, not your front. So if you, if you can actually spin and turn and, and, and actually get some contact and get the hit on, the, on, on your back, worst case scenario, I guess you can still break a rib doing that. But mm. when it's front on, there's so many things that can go wrong with the front half of your body, even your face. So it is it is dangerous, but mind you, when a forward does it and we see something like a Jack Rewalt mm. mark or something like that, but then you go fast forward or rewind 15 years and Jonathan Brown mm. literally, you know, rearranged his face doing something very yep. similar. So it, it is fraught with danger with the front of your body hitting the oncoming traffic. It's it's brave and you admire their commitment to, to winning the contest and how in the moment of the game that they must be to, to do that. Yep, yep. But, and, and I'm not critical of Tom Duday in any way for doing no. it, but I, I think the narrative for a long time has been, oh, you have to do that or you're soft. Whereas yep. with what we now know, I think hmm. there, there needs to be a shift in the narrative to go, it, it's okay and it, it's the team thing to actually do a bit of self-preservation when you can't hmm. bring that right technique that Lepper's talking about. Mm. If you, yeah, but I, I think Tom Duday's come out this morning actually and said he just had no idea that the, the two leading players were coming. coming so right, he's yeah. kind of conceded a lack of awareness <laughs> rather than oh. a choice to go and put his body on the line like that. Where did he think they're kicking the ball? It's hard, <laughs> hard to believe he didn't see him coming. There's yeah. about 250 kilos of humanity coming at him, you know, at pace. But I think, yeah, I, I think it's time that we can start changing the narrative like what you're saying and how you coach your boys that if there's no element of protection that Mm. you can offer yourself by turning your body well then it's okay to make a different decision I always think, as the son of a professional gambler, what are the odds of getting a benefit out of this play? And I just, what are they? Yeah, well, I'm, I just think if you watch that play 100 times, that the outcome positively is going to be maybe one in 100 that you actually impact and can stay safe yep. and yep. win the footy, whereas the players coming out are going to 99 times out of 100 clean you up. We'll get to a break. Uh, news out of Sydney. New South Wales recorded 50 new cases of COVID-19. Premier Gladys Berejiklian warned... 26 people were in the community while infectious. So based on our experience down here, we know that that's probably going to lead to multiple more cases. We're not barracking for that, of course. And the knock-on for footy is that what it's going to do to GWS in Sydney. We've reached out to both the Swans and the Giants. They've got that much work to do and that much thinking to be done that they said, look, if we've got something, we'll let you know, but we've got to work through a whole lot of things. Dave Matthews, 
uh, told us off here, told Ross Flegel, told off here. Um, we need to work through a whole lot of stuff before we're in a position to talk. Uh, we'll get on SEN in the coming days to let everybody in footy know exactly where we're at and what the term of um, our stay in Melbourne looks like being. But there's a fair chance that both Sydney and GWS are going to be here for significantly longer than they anticipate. Well, I think that's a given. And now the question has to be put to a whole lot of the players who have got their own personal circumstances back home. Well, what do you want to do? And they're both in the they're both in the hunt. You know, they're both mm. they're both in the picture. They're probably both going to play finals as we sit here right now. This is going to be quite quite a story for both of these clubs to navigate their way through. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of their players would be from Melbourne as well. So they probably don't have when you've got Victorian teams on the Gold Coast, and you would argue that maybe you don't have one player from that part of the world mm. in your whole list. It's a different, but you would have thought almost half their playing group is from Melbourne. Um, and a lot of them don't have kids and they're from Melbourne. So they're yeah, probably so loving the fact okay. that they're, yeah, going, yep. they're, they're actually, and, and the two <coughs> things for those two teams, you talk about in the hunt, they're both literally in the hunt. Mm. They're, they're fighting for that bottom half of the eight. So, um, you know, and there's two teams that haven't played a heap of, well, definitely Sydney haven't played finals for a while, but the Giants team will be wanting to, to do as well as they can to stay in there. So, mm. And Melbourne's not a bad place when it's nice and sunny like this today. You can jump Andy. out of a plane. You know, yeah, exactly. Have some fun. Uh, you li- hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Listening to crunch time for the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X, built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious, crunchy, new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. The Rooster's calling. Great to have you with us. Big Saturday of footy to come. Hawthorne, Fremantle, down in Tassie. The Blues and the Cats at the G. Brisbane and St Kilda at Metricon. A little bit later on, Justin Lepich, Daisy Pierce, Craig Jennings, Andy Mark, crunch time. So we touched on Thursday night briefly um, off the top. Well, let's dive into it a bit deeper. What was it about the way Melbourne went about their game on the weekend in particular? They got the result, obviously, but what was it about the way they played on Thursday night that said... September ready? Well, it was probably their number one part of their game, the the biggest part of the blueprint of their game, which is their defence and their full ground defence. Yep. Impossible to score against. I mean, um, they, they set up behind their attack. Um, it was just elite. Lever, May, were just able to direct traffic, Hibbert, and just do whatever they like. And then they score off the back of that, obviously, which they've struggled with that part in, in the past. But Port Adelaide were just running out of answers with the ball. They'd, they'd be back there. They'd want to use that, unco- like, that uncontested mark inside. They're like, oh, it's, geez, it's tempting, but a turnover here is diabolical. So then they're just kicking it down the line back to an out number a lot of the time. Mm. So they, they just set the game up and choked Port Adelaide to a point and they couldn't really move the ball and took the stoppage game away from them, which is important. I think they were low stop- stoppage scores for both teams. But, um, but yeah, they, they literally managed the, the stoppage part of the game and exploited the turnover part, which is what they always do well. 48 inside 50s they had Port Adelaide, which is a reasonable number. You look at that and think we've had a good opportunity. They posted 17 shots, so that speaks to what Lepper's talking about. Just choked them up even when they were going inside. Melbourne looked in control. The first layer of which I thought their um, pressure and hunger around the footy was Mm. top rate. 
on the night. I mentioned Brayshaw before, but straight away when you saw that, Christian Petraka, who has all the weapons mm. of the, the the best players in the competition, but his hunger to compete and put pressure on when the opposition had the ball, that's what enables them to, to gain that control. That's the, the first layer of their defence. That was lacking the week before against the Giants. So their full ground defence against the Giants was still there. The same things we saw uh, on Thursday night was still there against the Giants. But the difference is... GWS were able to bowl over through that part of the ground because they literally threw stoppage particularly. They were able to run through, and, and, and Melbourne didn't really lay a glove. They, you can sometimes with defence worry too much about – there's two aspects to it. There's the zoning component of being in the right spot, and then there's – we used to call it wide eyes and then small eyes. So wide eyes looking at the whole field, and then now small eyes. I've just got to run forward and smash you now, Andy, and, yeah. and get in your grill and, and just take you to the ground. It was almost like when they were in really close, they were watching as opposed to doing. You know, they were, they were thinking, they were thinking, well, someone else will get the job done and I'll pick it up. And, and that can happen with plays and you have weeks like that. But it did look like they just said, look, a full ground setup still pretty good. We just have to get that hunger back just to close those gaps to make sure we don't allow them to spread in that part of the game. I think what they did really well is balance the phases. So what I love about Goody's conversation, yes, it's about defence, but he did change or he has been changing the look of his forward line and acknowledging mm. that kicking eight or nine goals a week won't win you a premiership and he needs to balance that up. And also, so sound defensively, but some of that comes off the midfield pressure. So when you're watching Port Adelaide try to kick inside 50, just about every kick was a contested kick inside 50. That's right. Which helps the defence. But the flip side, Daisy, what you're talking about, the efficiency with Melbourne, when they were going forward, they were getting a lot of uncontested kicks through um, into inside 50 that gave them an opportunity to hit the scoreboard. So I really love that he has balanced the phases and, and no one phase is really more important than the other. And, um, they're just, they've just got that look about them. So Christian Petraka chase down tackles in the midfield and those sort of things really inspire and motivate your teammate when you know the most talented and gifted player on the field is doing those acts. So really good times for Melbourne. I think they've been the best team all season and those top four teams, no one's winning a premiership without getting past Melbourne. Your eye is drawn to Petraka, but the, the amount of times Clayton Oliver... <laughs> is clean and stands up under the pressure of three tackles as well. If he's not clean and strong in those moments, mm. it's spilling to a three-on-one. But the amount of times he's able to just put his head over it, get it out to a teammate in space, it's those critical contests as well that mean you're not then defending a really dangerous ball back the other way. I thought he was crucial. He hits them with such speed too. Like There's no slowing down on a ground ball for him to pick it up cleanly. He just hits it 100 miles an hour. And you're right, you don't necessarily know what a critical contest is until after the fact. And then you have a look and you think, well, if he loses that, the ball's going down the other the other end pretty quickly. But he gets the momentum. And what they're able to do off the back of that is maximise the momentum they get in games. So both teams will have momentum. But through that sort of um, four momentum that they play with, they're able to maximise when they do have momentum in a game. What you make of Ben Brown's performance? I liked it. I, I think it's exactly what they wanted out of him, to be honest. I mean, he, he didn't kick a goal, did he? They'd want, it, no, he didn't score. They'd want more than that, don't they? No, well, I actually thought he competed no. and brought the ground, because well, that brought Cosie Pickett into the game. Well, I thought the one thing that their smalls have been lacking is a direct target. When you're kicking to a guy like Bailey Fritch, where you're not sure where the end point's going to be, because mm. he's that guy that gets on the lead, he could jag left, and you think, okay, I'm going to crumb to the left, and then he jags back right and leads out the other way, and you picture a life as a small forward. If you don't have the central point, you know where it's going to land, you, you don't know where to go to. Mm. So I, I think that really helped them at least get to the front or the back of a, of a, of a contest, really, because they knew where it was going, and I thought Brown provided that. 
Um, and they didn't get marked against the other way. We'll touch on Port in a second and, mm. ha- and their use of their keys and the Lear Lear, but um, they, they couldn't do the reverse at the other end and bring the ball to ground. Ten touches, four marks, doesn't hit the scoreboard. If you pick up the stat sheet and have a surface-level look, you think, oh, no, he's not the answer. Put him out. But is it any coincidence that Tom McDonald plays the game he does because he's got that extra support of another tall? The amount of times that Ben Brown drew a crowd and, as Leper said, brought the ball to ground, the ball gets out the back into space where Pickett kicked goals, Petraka kicked one out the back of a big forward contest. That doesn't happen if if he's contest and him drawing that attention isn't in the side. So I, I think it doesn't really matter whether he's hitting the scoreboard. You can't put a quota on it that, no, nah, we want three goals a game out yeah, of him or two yeah. goals a game yep. out of him. If you're getting the look of the game that you want, it might be McDonald this week, it might be Ben Brown in three weeks. It doesn't matter as long as you're getting the result and the right mix. It's exactly right, though. So it's the internal conversation, Leper, isn't it, that is completely different to the external conversation in this regard. And it's about the synergy of those forward six and that one player, even though he didn't hit the scoreboard or or have a, a great statistic game, he allowed his teammates around him to be better players. And you think of a guy like Fritz, who's such X-factor, that if he doesn't have to get the best defender and a guy like Tom McDonald, who is a great endurance runner, if he can get up the ground and get back again. And then also what you were about to touch on, I think, Leper, is that Elia role where they've actually disrupted the opposition who have needed to do something to try and combat um, or something different to try and combat an opposition strength in a sense. So um, both sides of the coin there for the two clubs. All right, I'll dive into Port Adelaide then. What, what, is it, what is it about them? Is it, a, is it structural? Is it manpower? Is it... Well, why, why, can't, why, are they, why have they got this developing personality trait that sees them unable to get over the best sides consistently in the comp. Well, if we can touch on there's a few different components to it, personnel and structural. There, there always is. Um, defensively, they play a little bit different, I think, than some of the better better teams. If you notice what Melbourne do really well, they always tend to have a spare behind the footy, generally at the back and deep back of the contest. Port do this some of the time. okay. But the worry for me uh, is their key backs. Because what they've got at the moment, they've got McKenzie, Cleary and Jonas and then Alir Alir. Mm. Um, and then what they decided to do on Thursday night is play Alir Alir as we started on Ben Brown. Yeah, you were, and, you were good on this. And, yeah. and, then he, and then he went to the small back <coughs> to become the, which is a very similar thing to what Jake Lever does. So that's, I think, more his traditional role to then bounce off and then get in front of Jonas's opponent and Cleary to mark the ball. So his more traditional role. Um, Spargo, someone like that he was playing on. But then he was also playing the second ruck. So he was playing 30% of game time in the ruck. So for that period of time, you don't have your number one. McKenzie's not an interceptor. So you don't get your number one interceptor doing the role. Can you imagine Melbourne taking off Jake Lever Mm. from that part of the ground and putting him in the ruck? I I just thought it was a really strange move to, in in a team that protects their defensive line, their last line of defence brilliantly, like Melbourne, I thought uh, Port's last line of defence is a bit flakier. And not and a little bit of structure, but also the personnel that can do it. Because Cleary and Jonas are predominantly spoilers of the ball. They're not readers of the game and take mm. lots of marks and start drives and, and, and things like that. So which the only guy that really does it of those four is Lear Lear. Mm. And he was the one that wasn't there a lot. And I thought, yeah, it was. and then he ended up playing forward um, mm. and tagging Lever for a period. And then they took him out of that role after 15 minutes of not getting a touch in the last quarter. So the use of him, I, I just am a bit confused about where and why they did what they did. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Because yep. I think everything makes sense in hindsight. Yeah, of course it makes sense. Put someone on uh, lever to stop his intercept play. We need someone else to play in the ruck. We want to use maybe Charlie Dixon a bit less so we can get a beacon down the line. So all those things do make sense when you look at it. But then you go, well, why not use 
a Jonas for that, mm. then, or, a, mm. or keep keep your number one strength down there. It's really interesting because if you go in term, inside the planning meetings of football clubs, Alir actually takes a lot of time in your planning. So when he was at his best with Sydney, those players that can intercept, and he can intercept from 30 or 40 metres away because of his running capacity. So going into that game, Melbourne would have had specific plans for Alir uh, if Alir had have played a great game or started getting hold of them. And you mentioned Lever. So imagine the planning that goes into beating Melbourne around Jake Lever. So if he's not there, it's like a gift to you in the opposition coach's box, mm. one less player that you need to worry about. So uh, I'm pretty big in coaching that you need to explore things. I'm just not sure that that was the game for it. But what it does show is the top four teams are clearly superior to the teams that are sitting five to eight or in my mind. But the only out that I'll give Port Adelaide, um, and it's not a great one in a sense, they need their best 22 to beat a top four yeah. team, I think. And that's not the case for the other the other teams in the top four necessarily. No guarantee you're going to get it. That's exactly that's right. The problem, that's the problem, isn't it? Know, yeah. Waiting that, for your best yeah, players. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, you can be waiting a long time. Yeah, I think it has exposed a bit of a lack of depth, and also like what we've seen with St Kilda, when their point of difference being the combination of Marshall and Rowan is out of the side, it hurts them. I think that combination of Butters, Dersma, the energy of those three guys, the speed—it it kind of was their point of difference last yeah. year, and I, I think they're really missing that. I mean, that doesn't say that. Yeah, let's wait for them to go back, get back, and they're going to be a better team. I think in the meantime, they'd be working on their depth and other weaponry to to get themselves up into that next category. But just on the elite conversation, I, I hear that, and it, it's almost that's another tick that if you're reviewing um, Ben Brown's performance internally, you go, he didn't allow them to get what they wanted because they might have identified. Ben Brown that maybe didn't have the athleticism of an Alir to, to go with him and that they might have been able to expose him a little bit and work off him and and because they didn't give him that, Port Adelaide were forced to change things up. So mm. that that's a tick in, in – It's a big win, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you think every game that we play is basically practice for a grand final. You talk about the two clubs today. One's got belief that if they get into a big final, they've got the game style and the players and the coach's box to get the job done. And the other team, Port Adelaide – like they're going to have to spend some time in the next four to five weeks building belief that they can actually beat a top four team because these things um, can start weighing on your on your mind a little bit. So I just thought um, Melbourne all night, they won the coach's box, they won on field. Um, they're beating every single contender. So it just says so much about them as a football club at the moment. I think also too, the other end of the field, and the reason, say, you move a little earlier around, Marshall and Georgiades, I hope I say that properly. Yeah, that's it. They're, are they a bit one in the same? And you also can't use them in the second ruck. So if you don't want to use Charlie Dixon, this is the question you're asking yourself. We don't have that strong beacon down the line because those two young boys probably can't do that yet um, consistently for a long period of time. So we'll use now Ali Ali to do that. And we can't use Georgiades or Marshall in the ruck because we'll probably kill them. So that, that is probably what they're sitting there in the coach's box, probably throwing up, going, no, we can't do that. We can If we want to keep Dixon and keep Lear, we, you've got to make some other move. You've got to put either put Cleary in the ruck or one of these two young boys in there. So in a lot of ways, their team set up and their structure isn't allowing them to get the, the, the things they want. So does Laddams get a look then? Well, yeah, I think so. He'd give yeah. them another beacon and or a backup ruck option. So when you were both talking then, I think, 
into the past and you had a guy like Westhoff and what you need match day is that one player that you yep. can move into multiple positions to help other players move into positions so Westfield could play uh, sorry Westhoff could play Ruck wing but what that allowed is if he went to any of those positions you could actually put somebody else into another position to impact and they just don't have that at the moment so on your point Daisy maybe that's something that they need to consider without Robbie Gray so Robbie Gray's 33 now. He's going to be coming off the knee. Chance he plays at the end of the year. It, if you're going to be cruel and brutal, it looks like it looks like the opportunity for Robbie Gray might have and Port Adelaide together to win a premiership in the, with this group might have slipped past. Without him, he isn't he the ultimate point of difference in recent years when we've looked at the very best of Port Adelaide. Gray's the one who can turn something. Into I should have put him in with those young guys because he was that player last year when they were flying that could play forward, be dangerous up there, then inject a bit of yeah. class and yeah. creativity in the midfield when they needed it as well. He's a big occasion player too and um, we're interviewing uh, Darcy Parrish shortly yep. and I love those players that have the traits when the game's on the line, they know how to win them and Darcy Parrish, they don't get to play in many big games but when they do, he wins the medals and when they're behind on the scoreboard, he knows how to play the last two minutes so Robbie Gray's in that boat. All right, let's wait and see what they can do in the last six or seven weeks of the season whatever lies beyond for Port Adelaide. Uh, you're listening to Crunch Time, Darcy Parrish not too far away, still Stephen Hawking and Alistair Clarkson and the Hawthorne scenario to sink our teeth into. There's loads to get through. Listening to Crunch Time. For the Werribee Western and Footscray Nissan dealerships stocked the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough and for Red Rooster's new crunchy fried chicken available at selected restaurants. Great to have you with us. Uh, throughout the season, we're going to be counting down the most unbelievable moments in footy history for Furphy Refreshing Ale. Unbelievable. We're counting down the top 10. Today... We're going to remember one of the greatest marks of all time, which was taken around about now 20 years ago. Lalic's doing well to Heffernan. Second time he's taken out in a minute. Lucas read it best. Wrong side for him. Hooks it. Oh! What a mark! <laughs> Sensational! He's taken the wind out of himself. And why wouldn't he? Because he sucked it in from the stratosphere when he was up there. CNN took Gary Moore cross mark. CNN, the global news giant, showed that mark. I don't think they showed Jack Revolts. I don't think they showed Tim O'Brien's. I don't think they showed Shea Bolton's, but they showed Gary Moorcroft's 20, year, 20 years ago. Well, there's something stunning to it, isn't there? I think it's better when it's really small players. Too. <laughs> 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 there's, something odd, there's something funny about it. So they shouldn't be able to do stuff like that. It was, it was an unbelievable mark. What was the most noteworthy thing about the mark? These are, tri- these are trivia questions for you. one out. A guy just springs up onto mm. one other person's back. Not a pack or a, a little double ride, just pure pop. Was it the fact that and Scotty, fully outstretched. Scotty, Lewis, Scotty Lucas kicked on on his right foot? <laughs> <laughs> the only time he kicked on his right foot in his entire career? Could it have been that? Well, it's a great crowd there, too, in the back shot. You've got a night game. Um, Big crowds like it all, and, and great commentary. It all adds yeah. to the experience, doesn't it? I, I still love... Um, Brett, Jonathan Brown running back with a flight and Jack Rewalt for the artistry um, this year and he has a look so he knows he, he's calculated it Jack Rewalt he knows exactly what he's doing when he's running with the flight and taking yeah. that mark 
On the weekend, uh, it was George Addy's that took the hanger, wasn't mm, it? On uh, Gorn. On Gorn. Now, I've, one thing I've worked out with a nice hanger, it, it's about the guy marking you, but it's more about the <laughs> lift you get and the guy <laughs> yeah, below yeah, you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's how much he's given you back the other way. And Max really crumbled, which was disappointing. <laughs> if, if he had a, like given a little yeah. pop yep. and, and given George Addy's a little bit yep. more, that would have been amazing. But yep. he really gave you nothing, Max. So you you got to look after him. If you feel that shoulder there, get a little jump up and <laughs> send him higher for us. Your chance to be the Graham Jenk, the jerker Jenkins yeah. of 2021. Yeah. Couple of little, we're going to get a break out of the way soon. Darcy Parrish should join us in about 15 minutes' time. Um, if you were John Longmire, or any of you three, are you putting Dane Rampey on Jamara Ugal Hagen? <laughs> are you going, welcome to the AFL, young fella. Are you, I mean, I don't know whether you've done your matchups for that game yet. It's tomorrow, mm. so I argue it's forgivable if you haven't, but. You look at the way those two teams are going to match up and, you know, Bruce will probably get McCartan, you'd think. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that the kid's going to get Dane Rampey first up? Unless he's not a sub. No, you, you wouldn't. Oh, can you imagine <laughs> you, that? <laughs> just the Bevo, the last yeah. little nail on the coffin. No, oh, geez, you'd think so. That's that's either way, McCartan's a gun. Like, yeah, yeah. Either way, you, of all the teams you don't want to play first up, I reckon the Swans because they're pretty brutal. They don't. They don't give an inch. I mean, even if, oh gosh, it, there's no there's no one easy in that Swans no, defence could come point. up against. So no. he's going to have have a lot. He'll want good delivery and want good support um, because it's going to be a hard game for him. I do like the psychological thinking behind it, which does come up in match committee that this is this player's first game and you make life as difficult as possible for him. Makes sense, doesn't it? That's what you got to do. I don't know. Would you disrupt your system? I, I guess it depends where Jamara starts, whether mm. it works in with. Where they have Rampy. I mean, they don't want to go tinkering with things too much with when they have bigger fish to fry. But maybe that psychological wound that they could inflict if they, they it could backfire though if Jamara Eugle Hagen kicks a couple on him and early. You might and do it too. You never know. Confidence. Yep. Uh, I think with coaching too, you're always extrapolating. So one thing that I know about Bevo, he's an elite match day coach. And right from early in the season, he's already planning what different teams might throw at, at him and his players. So he'll have backup plan A, B and, and C, no matter what the Sydney Swans dish out. I mean, who knows what they're thinking. But if if that was a possibility that, that he's going to get rampy, there's a good argument as to why he's held him back for as long as he has. And and, and the reason why you don't just throw Hugo mm-hmm. Hagen in round one mm. is to better prepare him for matchups like he is going to get. But is he prepared or is he there because Norton's out? Like, well, I mean. They could have he... picked Shacky. Shacky's been yeah. in better form than him in VFL, at VFL level. Yeah. Like He's actually been in much better form yeah. than Hugo Hagen just in terms of numeric output. He's 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 there's been a significant gap between Shaqie and Eugle Hagen in terms of what they've been producing. So he's, it's a it's a bit of a gut feel hunch selection. This yep. as much as anything, I reckon. How so, different was it, Lepper, for a, a player, say a forward playing at VFL level, where he's trying to work his way into the AFL side? How difficult is it to to play the way you need to play, and when you don't necessarily have the service and mm. surroundings that, that you may at AFL level. Like, do we expect to see a, almost a better Hugo Hagen at AFL level than how he's been performing at VFL level? Oh, you're right. Cause some people just don't play the next level down very well. Mm. Uh, mm. It's just the way it is for whatever reason, whether it be the game itself's a little bit different or the motivation behind playing and positionally at positionally dependent as well. I yeah. mean, I remember Jared Brennan's first game um, in the AFL. He was, he was pretty average coming into that. And we thought, what have we just picked up here? He's a pick three. And then he played his first game and 
dominated the AFL. So it, it, that's a possibility. You see guys that play better at the higher level than the lower level. So let's hope he does. Yeah. Andy, on, on your point, I suspect that uh, what Bevo is thinking in terms of match committee, so Shaki, he knows what he's going to get exactly. if he comes into the senior yep. team, yep. whereas there's so much upside to you. So uh, I think that would have come into consideration. The whole buddy 2.0 is interesting too. He gets to, yeah. which has been the... That's been the that's been the label that's been put on. It's just what he needs after well, pick one you know, and not playing. And now buddy, hundred meters away from him. For the game, ex- you know? That's the label externally. But did you see his? You know the the videos oh. that the clubs put up when yep. they ring their mum, recorded and put on the website. The first thing his mum said is, "Oh, that's against Buddy." Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So it's there coming you from go. home as well. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western Footscray Nissan dealership. Stock the all new Nissan Navara Pro 4X. Built tough, uh, not too far away from Darcy Parish joining us. They sat on him last night, made it a bit tougher for him. It didn't affect his team's output. He's having a hell of a season. He's going to join us for a chat. On the other side of this, big day to look forward to. Hawthorne, Frio, Carlton, Geelong, Brisbane, St Kilda. Just the whole management of players, just as in a Darcy Parish not too far away from joining us. The management of players. So Geelong fourth on the ladder right now. Port Adelaide fifth on the ladder, both on 44 points. Obviously, Geelong lose Jeremy Cameron with the with the hamstring cork last week, but they decide this week to manage Joel Selwood. Now, Port Adelaide win last night. Suddenly, Geelong's out of the top four. Did, did Geelong now go? Uh, they're fully expecting to beat Carlton today at the MCG, but if they were redlining this one, if it was a preliminary final, Joel Selwood's playing. So the mani- the art, the timing of, and it's clearly the numbers are telling telling the Geelong selectors that Joel Selwood needs a week off. You know that that's that's how the yep. modern game works these days. But they'd ask him to push through. Port Adelaide losing last night. Does that just take a tiny bit of pressure off the decision to give Joel Selwood the week off? Does it? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I do. But uh, it's funny when you and it's easy probably to have the outside thing. But on, when you're on the inside. You think completely the opposite. You don't look at the fixturing when you make these calls. No, of course you, not. You, you, yeah. you look at when the player needs it. Because if you think about it, if you're making that call because he needs a rest, it means you think his output that particular week or the following week or the week after may be affected. So what, you, what you're doing is then why would you even do it irrespective of you're playing the top team or the bottom team? Because what you're really about is getting the right output or the maximum output out of every player on the list. So Shalong have got a pretty thick list. They probably think if Joel Selwood goes out, we can shuffle a few magnets mm. and we'll still get really good output anyway. So... I think they'll back themselves in either way. I think Chris Scott's got a long history of doing this part really well um, in the game and trust his medical team and they make good calls in the 99%. As he said, the one time you don't do it well, everyone talks about it, but they won't mention the other 100 times no, they've no, done it well not. throughout yep. the year. Yep. 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 I think Chris Scott spoke about this specifically last year, the management of Joel Selwood and making sure they get the best version of him, that they've gotten better at it. So they may have a really good understanding now that off the back of a rest we're going to get much better football out of him in two weeks when we hit Richmond or in six weeks when we hit Melbourne on the eve of the final. So without looking too far ahead, it's just that individual management of that player. It's not so much a a look at this week, like Leper said. It's how do we get the best version out of him when we've got bigger fish to fry later in the year. And internally, every game feels hard. And any time you play either, you know, what could be called a danger game or a team that you're expected to win – as a coach and a coaching team, your attention to detail, you really, really narrow down. Whereas when you're, you know, top four teams going up against each other, you know it's a big game. Players know it, so you, you try and calm things down. But 
Um, Geelong will go into this game super focused. And I think you're trying to get ahead of the curve too. It's not so much in reaction to his GPS numbers or how he's feeling. It might have been pre-planned a, a long oh, I'm way sure out. it would have yeah. been. But this is what I'll put to you three. That if it is a prelim and all if the numbers are saying that Paddy Dangerfield's, you know, gone over the top and his numbers are coming off because he has carried too big or Joss. You know, they're not resting him because no. the numbers are saying no, no. they're asking him to push through for in a prelim. Not there. And expecting yeah, because that he, the stakes demand stakes. that you yeah, take you, yeah. you, you ignore that. Yeah. And not only that, that they probably won't get themselves to a point where that will be the decision they'll have to make then. They would have done all this work in preparation so they don't make any of these calls or take any of these risks or, or so-called risks in, in the last month of the season. So, Well, Darcy Parrish joins us uh, hot off last night's really impressive performance against an, an Adelaide side that was disappointing, largely because of the pressure that Essen applied to him. But maybe we'll continue this conversation with him. Hey, Darcy, thanks for joining us on Crunch Time, mate. Well done on the win last night. We're talking about all the, the the data that, you know, is accumulated through your GPSs and the way that that determines where you're at in your kind of season cycle. And if you need to have a little spell, uh, the numbers are, are, are telling everybody that, that the now is the time. Uh, are you an absolute believer in that stuff? Um, yeah. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, I suppose, yeah, we run through our data and our GPS um pretty frequently throughout the, the weeks and, um, I guess, after games. And um, I guess it, it, you sort of relate back to it a fair bit with your training loads and that sort of thing now. But, um, yeah, we sort of don't focus on it a real lot. We've got a, a good team there that sort of looks after that and um, they'll have the conversations with you throughout the week um, depending on, the on the, I guess, the, the results and um, the numbers. So, um, yeah. Hey, Darcy, congratulations on the win last night. Daisy Pearce here. So if the, co- the coaches or performance staff came to you and said, I think you need a rest in a couple of weeks, you don't strike me as the type of person <laughs> that would enjoy the, the thought of a rest. How do you take those nah. conversations? <laughs> yeah, no, I wouldn't be. Um, I'll just say, yeah, less training then and just save it for the game. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, that would work through it. But, um, yeah, you obviously want to get out there match day. That's what um, oh, the whole week sort of... It excites you, I guess, to get out there and perform for your team. And um, I guess, yeah, you just manage your load throughout the week and um, just make sure you're right for, for game day. Darcy, Justin Lepich, uh, great season, mate. Obviously, it's been a, a really um, a big impact for you. When Dylan Shield comes back, I know it's been on the topic of everyone's lips. What's he going to do now that you've kicked him out of the midfield? Has there been any, any thought or any discussion about how that's going to work out when he comes back? Yeah, obviously, um, no, there's not too much discussion. Um, I think we've we've lost oh, two or three blokes throughout our midfield this year, Andy and John as well. So, um, yeah, we'll sort of just work around it. But I think Sheely's application throughout the weeks and he's been helping us a hell of a lot throughout our midfield conversations and our mid-meetings. So, um, yeah, whenever he gets back, I'm not too sure, but it's, it's not too far away, I don't think. So it'd be good to have him back out there. And is it is it the first time you've had a bit of attention come your way in your career last night, or has it happened before? I'm trying to recall. Yeah, no, that was probably the first proper night, so um, something I'm sort of new to. Um, and yeah, he did a great job at um, sending a bit of attention my way. But I think I've got some some great learnings to come out of the game last night, and um, I'm obviously got 
got someone who's got a fair bit of attention over there years in Zachy, so I'll be able to work um, closely with him and get some good learnings out um, throughout the week. And what are they? Just for young players, I mean, we, I've never been tagged him. Actually, no. Damien Peverell came to me for five minutes in the game. <laughs> Kevin Sheedy, I don't know what he was thinking. I mean, what is he doing? It was the oddest thing in the world. But So for us, I've never been tagged before. What are some of the things, and even for the young players in the 18s, what, what do you do when a player comes to you and ha- gives you that 100% focus? What are some of the things you can do? Yeah, I guess um, it sort of it threw me off my game a little bit, I suppose. And um, obviously, just you lose a bit of distraction um, having a guy right on your on your back the whole time. And um, I guess you just got to stick to the way you play. And I guess the help of your teammates around you for um, little blocks and and cues like that. But um, yeah, obviously, you don't want to change too much of your game. And I think in the second half in particular, I sort of went away from. Um, my game and um, yeah so there's something to learn and I guess grow on for next time um, if it does occur but um, just sticking to your game and yeah just keep backing yourself and um, I guess you just got to accept it and yeah just do your best for the team I suppose. Darcy Craig Jennings here I've followed your career very closely something that comes to mind all the time is uh, when you helped win the game for Essendon against Sydney in the last two minutes playing on Lukey Parker and I thought your influence was amazing I love big occasion players now your coach has put on the record that you had a really big pre-season that's helped you deliver the performances that you have this year. So can you take us inside your pre-season? Was there anything you did differently? I think of Joe Watson um, when he turned his career around, took up boxing. Uh, was there a point of difference for you this year? Um, not in particular, but I think just um, application to oh, my running and um, just bigger loads throughout the off-season and I guess challenging myself against some, and some better runners at the club and um, it really pushed me along, I think, and um, it's holding me in good stead. But I think it's it's come over the, the past few years and um, sort of this year it's all been able to flow into games and my consistency and um, I think I'm just covering the ground a lot smarter as well. So I've been working closely, I worked closely with James Kelly throughout last off-season and even Blake Carousel this year and um, I think I'm just using my energy a lot wiser out there and um, it's helping me throughout the game. Now, I spent 10 years at the Essendon Football Club and my favourite person there is Colin Hooper. And he used to always oh, talk yeah. about Smullers being the most important stat in footy. <laughs> is he still down that pathway? Um, he's still around the, around the place. That's what, and he's handing out lollies during um, training. So he's one of my favourites there at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, he's great to have around the, the place. And I guess um, oh, we've got Guelphie who does some big Smullers every now and then. So... Um, but, yeah, it's sort of come out of the game a little bit, I think. Uh, on last night's performance as a team, Darcy, your coach kept talking about how impressed he was with your maturity and the way that you you ground the game out. Was one of the things that came up just your ability to deal with the amount of numbers Adelaide were getting back and how they choked up your forward line and your ball movement? What sort of conversations were you having in working around that? Yeah, so um, we've obviously had some oh, big games this year that we thought our attitude and our effort we've been in, in for most of the games. It's just been our execution. Um, and we had a big focus this week on just using our numbers a lot better and just a lot smarter going forward. And um, the ability to set the ground up behind us in defence and just lock that ball inside our forward 50. And I think that was the most pleasing thing for mine, our, our defensive effort and our, just our mindset to defend. And um, it started with our blitz and I guess our hunting around the footy and then just locking the ball inside our 50, which gave us the best chance to score. So um, it was really pleasing, another step in the right direction and hopefully we can just continue to build on that. 
I'm loving the way you're using the old Richmond terms like blitz. That's, a, that's an old Richmond. Oh, beauty, that one. Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, that, that's when you're smashing really hard in was the that opposition. Was that one of yours? Yeah, they, um, I think Truck and Blake have brought all the same. Okay, right. Well, you don't bring the same game plan. You've got to change the map. you got to actually change the calls, though, don't you? Call them something a little bit, <laughs> little bit different. But I wanted to touch on your defence, and you, and you briefly mentioned it because, you know, obviously sitting AFL 3 scoring, AFL 15 back the other way defending – and, and just to concede 21 points, is that the one thing Ben Rutten, because he is a defensive man by nature. I know Blake Carousella, he wouldn't know what defence is. He thinks it's that thing around the ground. But, um, but is that the one thing Ben Rutten was proud about last night with the group? Yeah, definitely. Um, we, we've been getting lots of looks um, going inside Ford 50, and I think most weeks we have more entries than the opposition team. It's just been that execution and, finding the free and just locking the ball in there for longer because um, it, it has been coming out pretty easy and that's one focus we've been sort of coming to ma- maintain and um, improve on throughout the week. So um, it was a massive step in the direction we want to go last night, but we've still got a long way to go and um, hopefully we can just keep continuing on that. And, and the last one from me, just just your teammate, Zach Merritt, um... You know, are they a bit upset you're hogging all the medals this year? I'm, uh, share them around, this, <laughs> share them around <laughs> maybe, or I don't know. Uh, no, Zach, he's been, he's been great, and I think um, that's one of the reasons I've really developed as well. Um, working alongside him, I think his knowledge and understanding of the game is, he sees it so differently to most others, and um, I've just been learning heaps of little things off him, and um, just our relationship out there and our chemistry and connection, I think, is, is going a long way, and it's, um, it's just great to work alongside him. Darcy, you've given us great insights um, to the game on the weekend and the footy club. You're very articulate for a footballer, so I'm wondering, what are your passions outside football? Are you studying? Do you do any work experience? Who do you knock about with? Um, I'm playing a fair bit of golf outside of footy, but it's probably something um, I wanted to just play some consistent footy for the club this year, and now I've got to start to yeah, sort of look what interests me outside of footy, so um, we'll start getting into that, I think. You didn't grow up playing golf at that little Winchelsea golf club of yours, did you? Is that where you first learnt the game? No, I've only learnt it oh, probably just since being drafted, but I have been back to the winch, um, little nine holer there, yep, and we've yep. got the, the valley under the second hole in the <laughs> valley there, so um, not too bad to get down there to the yeah the old track. Hey, just before we do let you go, can I, Jordan Ridley, you know, reigning best and fairest, has he ever been flustered? Has he ever had a bead of sweat on his brow? Does he? Does anything ever upset Jordan Ridley? Yeah, we. it's a challenge. We try and fluster him throughout the week, but it, it's pretty hard to do. Um, he's a cool and calm collector and competitor out there for us. And, um, yeah, it's great to have his head, um, I guess, down back and um, just reliable for us week in, week out. So, um, nah, that's yeah, that's what you get with Rids. It's a bit of an unconventional. We're sort of talking mm. about your back line a bit early. There's no real established sort of gorilla down there that the whole thing... You've got some, you know, a compendium of sort of flankers and slide-up players, and you've got Stewart down there at the moment. But it's a slightly different and a slightly AFL sort of unconventional backline that you're um, you're relying on down there. Is that a fair call? Do you think? No, absolutely. I think um, we've got some real fresh faces down there. Obviously, Jaden Laverde, he's been terrific um, since moving down there, and even James Stewart as well. They're they're both forwards, come defenders, and I think they're just having a real crack and. Um, they're only oh, 13, 14 games into their back line as a group, I think, down there. Is, um, and they, they're building really nicely together. So, um, yeah, they'll just continue to do that. And, yeah, it, they're looking good. Keep up the good work, mate. Thanks for joining us on the show. Appreciate it.
No worries, guys. Thank you. All the best. Darcy Parrish for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. So you asked the question. You put him on the hot spot about Dylan Shield. So that, and he mentioned McGrath and Caldwell. Can you, ha- can, you, can you ever have too many? Can you ever have too many A-list midfielders? Yes. Mm. Only because for me, and I think the Giants have been probably the one team we think about their depth of midfield and what they have, and they've still got Coniglio to come back in the team. And if you watch the game last week, they're, they're that full. Their, their wingers are full with stars. Now, if you look at the Richmond midfield, their wingers are generally role players, mm. you know, guys mm. that are, are low-possession players. But your, your salary cap has to fit in there somewhere too. So stars want big money. So generally in the whole scheme of footy, you only have four gun mids and maybe one or two around the fringes. You can't have, you know, four guys over six, seven hundred grand. It's hard to actually then fit in your rest of your team as well. That's why you can have too much of a good thing. And not only that, good players like to have a lot of the ball. And That's the thing I'm getting And not at. all of them can get a lot of the ball no. in every game. So it's it's almost like, can we use a food analogy? Please. We've got a piece of pie <laughs> on this table. There's only so much to go around. That's all there is. There's only so many possessions out there on a field on a day. So it's not like we can just invent another 100 possessions and play the game longer for these guys to fill their boots. So you have to be just accept, well, I'm just going to be a role player now. And that's getting back to the Dylan Shield conversation. Mm. Can he accept now? I might be a half forward. So it's still a good role, like a Kane Lambert, come up and down the field, get 18 touches. But, it, you know, that's the interesting one for it me. It looked to be working at the Bulldogs early in the year when they could pick from all of them. And, I mean, yeah. it's been affected with Trelaw and Dunkley mm. coming out. But they seem to have gotten a flow with it and I think if you've got the the right versatility within the midfielders they can go forward and genuinely hit the scoreboard then it can work if they've got the good balance of inside and out and they can be as effective on the wing as inside it it, it possibly can it looked like that at um, the Bulldogs and then in that role play I think of an Angus Brayshaw at Melbourne who was yes. a, a top line midfielder the way it was tracking and he's accepted now a role, he, he's not getting the footy that he, he um, may have once or was on a trajectory to get. Mm-hmm. But I think if the reward internally, you're getting the pats on the back and getting, um, you know, rewarded for what you're doing in that role, then it can work. Lockie Hunter was the one that got pushed out when, when Trelaw came in. So he's going back to his traditional role. So there was one. So he was the one early in the season that was playing more half forward up at the ball, getting 15, 16, 17 possessions. And now that we've had the injuries to Trelaw and Dunkley, Dunkley, he's now playing a bit more prolific back through the midfield again. So he was the one that spat out for them. So it will happen if you've got Mm. too much of a good thing. Really unexpected answer, wasn't it, Murray? Because what we hear in football is you can't have enough midfielders. And and something I do believe in is the game is won and lost early in the midfield and, and getting that territory battle. But what it does show is that when you're inside a football club, you need to extrapolate further into your point, Daisy, if you've got a, lit, a lot of midfielders, it mm. can work if you've got balance and variety and players with an ability to accept a different role or mm. play a different position. And to reiterate some of your point, Lepper, it's about managing the, the salary cap within all of that as well. So just such a great answer and an insight to mm. the realities of a football club. So the two big stories Monday, Tuesday were Stephen Hawking leaving the AFL, replacing Brian Cook, the next CEO at the Geelong Footy Club after 23 years of the Cook regime. That, we'll get to that one in a moment. The second one that followed and trumped it was the story at Hawthorne, which I think we all knew something was going to happen at some stage, but I don't think anybody thought it was coming as quickly as it did and as rapidly as it did. And it sent the whole lot of us into a frenzy, or the what-ifs, the scenarios. Who's going to go where? What does this mean? Uh, 
at Collingwood, at potentially at Carlton, at, at Gold Coast. What does Clarkson on the market mean? And we did this for about 48 hours. And then Alistair Clarkson comes out yesterday morning. And you keep hearing that language is important. You keep hearing because you can talk double Dutch. Mm. You can you leave yourself open and close-ended comment, all that sort of stuff. He spoke yesterday about his commitment to Hawthorne. And I defy any of you three to punch a hole in what Clarkson said if you're looking to give him an out before the end of his contract. This is a bit of what he had to say yesterday. We addressed this about two or three weeks ago in terms of um, you know, what are the different options for the club club moving forward. And um, let's be really clear what the pathway is going to be for all of us. And um, what the outcome of that was that uh, the pathway is going to be that I'll continue to coach until the end of next year. Um, I'm going to honour that commitment. And... Um, and then there'll be a, a handover to Sam, who'll coach the club from that point in time. So, you know, we, as I said, we, whether it's been with players or staff, and in this indicate, you know, this time, particular time, it was the coach. Um, that's always the way we've done things here, and it's, it seems like it's ruthless and it's created a, a, a frenzy in terms of the outside speculation. But in terms of the operations of how we've done things, it's always the way that I've done things, and, and the club's done things. So, uh, we just continue along that path. Gorgeous. Yeah, I don't know how many times you're going to ask the question in a different sort of way or anything else, but I'm contracted the next year and I'm staying here. Is that the end of the story? As much as we want to have fun with it, because it you know generates click and you get talk back mm. and it's all this and it's all that, isn't it just uh, what he said? It's it's a bit disrespectful, isn't it, to continue having the conversation when he is as categoric as he was. Well, the, only thing you the only thing you didn't say is pretty, 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 pretty. Please don't ask me again. That's about <laughs> all he's got left, I reckon, because he's, 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 it is categoric. And I guess if you're Clarker, you're probably thinking, look, it's good. I'm pretty good. I'll get a job this time next year anyway. Yep. If there's well, one. There's, so, eight, there's eight of them out at the end of 2022. I'm interested to see, Matt, what if they go really well next year and, and they're sitting, I don't know, sixth mm-hmm. halfway through the season? and oh, that, that makes it more awkward. Then, then who's making the decisions? Is, is now Clarko he probably takes over more of the decisions now because he's thinking, oh, this is a real short-term opportunity. And then Sam's going, well, I've got to think of the long-term. So that's where it might get interesting in the back background decisions. But it's great that he's done that because mm. he's a unique character, isn't he, Clarko? And he is honourable and he's got – he is that. He's exactly what you see. I, I don't – I believe him that he'll see it through. And I, I think he – having achieved everything in the game that he has – Will there be that draw to, to chase, just say hypothetically they end up sixth? Does it get a Clarkson, who already has four premierships, does it draw him in to go, oh, I want to make the decisions now to, to chase the short-term success and take it back off Sam, who more has the long-term view? Or will it not get him because his boots are, are filled? And I, I sort of think that, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe it gets everyone, but I, I sort of think that he'll be able to navigate that a bit better than anyone else, given... What he's achieved and also mm. his track record. I mean, he's seemed to have been content in helping other coaches and those around him develop and then celebrate their success. I mean, Hardwick, Beveridge, Simpson, all kind of guided through their early coaching mm. careers by them. And there's been never been any air of bitterness when they've gone on to take the next step in the next opportunity. So I've got belief that this can work. <coughs> I've... I think the the biggest story is what do other clubs do? Oh, of course. So I'm, I believe yeah, what's going to go true. on at Hawthorne, yep. and I trust that, that that they've got it in order. What do other clubs do if they they now sit here thinking, all right, 
where are we heading with our coaching appointment? There's going to be Alistair Clarkson on the market, not now, but in two years' time. So what do we do in the interim? I was thinking, like, Clarko's got a really high performance ego, so that's clearly around his coaching, not his off-field stuff. So serial winning coach, I would love to see if he can transfer his formula into another club. But sometimes with Clarko, he's the only person in the AFL I think like this with could he coach another sport? So spending time in America, the college system leper that you've mm. seen as well, Stanford University. To me, he strikes me as a sort of person that knows how to bring or how to build a, a winning program. And that can be done uh, in any sport, you know, how he builds his culture, how he works in with people. And the technical side of whatever that sport is, you can delegate to the coaches that are experts in that area. So I just have this underlying thing with Clark. I'd love him to have a gap year and spend some time in America <laughs> and see if he can transfer some of this coaching ability into another sport. Isn't the big question is, is it a good decision? Well, that, that's, that'll be determined by what happens with the team under Sam Mitchell's stewardship, isn't it? I mean... That that's the only time we'll know the answer to that. Yeah, but I'm talking the premise behind the answer. If you're a, if you needed heart surgery, Andy, let's hope it never happens. <laughs> and you, you've got a guy here with 18 years experience or someone to, which one are you choosing? No, like, it's a good point. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting about game. It's one of the few. Mm. It's one of the few professions in the world that you can get worse with the more experience. It's quite funny mm. though. But the other part is. When you're picking pick one in the draft, for instance, right? So we, we, we sort of hear all the names. We watch all the vision. We've got some evidence. And then we pick what we're picking. Why is Sam Mitchell the next best coach? And how do we know that? Like, they've, they've made a, a leap of faith. And I, I know I know. Jeff said he's not a liniment sniffer, but how do you, how do you, did you check everyone else out in the industry? Did you, how do you know? Did you do a report? Is it, yeah, no, he's the, he, these are the next 10 and he's why Sam Mitchell's on top. Well, otherwise, you might sound like that to me. That you no, just it's a fair question. Well, it is to me. Yeah. It's an odd decision without doing any research in the background to know that he is going to be clearly better. And not only that, you could have one part. One part of the decision might be we think Clarko's gone. Well, the second part is well, who's the next guy? So it's an interesting the whole way. How, the way the whole thing this goes around in the background, probably for someone who's been in the background quite a bit. <laughs> so I probably look at that part of it a little bit more. I, I just find even the aspect of Sam may not even be the best coach at Hawthorne. Right. He's got Craig McRae and, and, and yeah. Bolton there. Like they're bloody good coaches. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting debate. And Leppy, you can answer this better than anyone. But every coach I've ever spoken to says being an assistant coach is not a good pathway into being a senior coach. And you spoke about experience, mm. and it's almost like that it works against you. And I just think that having experience in that role in, is so critical. Well, they clearly didn't want to lose him. That was the most. Yep. That's the obvious thing. They knew. They think they know what he is. They know who he is, and they didn't want him going anywhere else because he was a huge chance of getting that Collingwood job. By the sounds of things. You're listening to Crunch Time for the Werribee Western Footscray Nissan dealership. Stock the all-new Nissan Navara Pro 4X built tough. And for Red Rooster, delicious crunchy new fried chicken by Red Rooster. Available at selected restaurants. Great to have you with us this Saturday afternoon. And uh, a bit of history has just been made at Caulfield. Jamie Carr has ridden the winner of the second race for Tony and Calvin McAvoy. Deep speed. I think Campbell Brown's got a little stake in deep speed. It's just one race two at Caulfield, which means Jamie Carr has broken Brett Preble's 21-year record, has become the first jockey in Victorian racing history to ride 100 Metropolitan winners in a racing season. Uh, her legend continues to grow. Uh, so she writes herself into the history books, and everybody at this radio station congratulates her for doing yes. that. Well done to her. Um, so getting away from Clarkson Mitchell, which will continue to... Um, play out as the years go by. 
the day before, 24 hours before, Stephen Hawking announces that he's out and three days later, the feet are no longer on the desk. He is actually out and will replace Brian Cook after 23 years of one of the great stewardships of a football club, Cook and Geelong. Does he go down there as an agent of change, Stephen Hawking? That's sort of been the nature of him mm. in his administrative career. Take things on, have a go, don't be afraid to fail, have the strength and courage of your conviction, all of that sort of stuff. Geelong feels like it's a club, as well as it's going, that um, might need some serious decisions being made on a few different issues in the coming years. Well, it's interesting because they've been a pretty successful club mm, over a long period of time, but they haven't been able to jag that last win in the last game of the season. That's probably how much of an agent of change do you need to be when you're already that good? That's well, the concern. You can actually make things worse potentially. Well, they've got just Blitzarves 30. This is now. Yeah. Blitzarves 30, Dangerfield 31, Duncan 30, Hawkins 32, Henderson 31, Higgins 33, Jenkins 32, Rowan 30, Selwood 33, Smith 32, Stanley 30, Tui 31. Only one of those blokes isn't playing senior, regular senior football, and that's Josh Jenkins. That's a that's an aging. They, they rely heavily on a on a cohort of players who are over thirty now, so they'll be all a year older this time next year. That's how the thing works. So, Lipper, in your experience, how much influence? I know the CEO has an influence on the football club, but how much influence do they have on the decision making in terms of the football department? You know, someone like Simon mm. Lloyd in that point. Look, I felt like all my dealings were with the senior coach and the footy manager, never the CEO. Oh, it, it should be never is yeah. the is the short answer. They shouldn't get involved never. at all. No, yep. no. Well, well, it's funny. Even when you come from a footy operations background like <laughs> he has. I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I've, the most experienced CEO from a football perspective I've ever worked for is Brennan Gale. You know, he's played over 200-odd 50 games. Yep. If anyone should comment on footy, it's him. Yep. Ironically, of all the CEOs I had, he didn't comment on it at all. <laughs> okay, right. And on. he was the most qualified. But it's funny, a lot of the ones that haven't got the football experience – like to do it because it's like the fun part of the okay, job. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's almost like they don't just sit there and go, like tell their mates or the media yeah. or something like that. So some of them actually, some of, some of them actually do do that. Mate. It's and an they, and they, I believe you. And they yeah. get too much involved. Now, Steve Hocking is a football person mm. though, so he has the right to an opinion, but he shouldn't have the right to run the show. But no, he, no, no. he should have a right to the big picture, there's no doubt. So what people might not know about Hocko is he's a very creative person, but mm. what he likes to do is nudge things. So he doesn't come in with a sledgehammer, although some conversations you have with him, you leave with no doubt. Bruised. <laughs> no <Yeah>. doubt <laughs> what he expects or what he wants. But, um, yeah, I think he might be the sort of person that might nudge some of his creative ideas to Simon Lloyd. But you know, on your point, Leper, I've been involved in footy clubs when the CEO speaks directly to players, and players and coaches never really like it. But he, you know, if anyone's earned the right to speak directly to players and, and the footy department of Taco, I think he's smart enough to do it properly as well. He's mm. been around the game a long time. He's, he's no rookie. He wouldn't do, make those sort of mistakes to go directly to players and, and things. No, like no, that. no, no, no. The right, the right way. Yeah. But Stephen Wells is the other element of all of this. Took time away from the club. Has been back at work for a while. Is one of the rare guys in footy who is head of list development, head of recruiting. Does Stephen Hawking look to change that up a little bit? Does he redirect Wells's um, skills in a slightly different direction? Does he rebuild or encourage a rebuild of that? Mm. And of course, Chris Scott's the other one out of contract next year. Is into his what is it? His eleventh season now, maybe twelfth next year. 70 percent win record. Chris Scott, one of the most successful. And I hate saying this, but one of the most successful home and away coaches of all time, Chris Scott, wins the one premiership in his first year, has been close on several other occasions. 
Alistair Clarkson, well, everybody moves on sooner or later. Mm. You know, I mean, there's some, there are some big ticket decisions from a footy operations perspective but, at Geelong that do need to be addressed. Sorry to reverse back, but the list profile um, question you asked off the top, I don't think it would be the scenario, Leper, where they go, all right, let's go old. Let, let, let's have a, an old list. Is that just part of the natural evolution and where they're at in this cycle and, and it will change naturally um, as as the years flow on, uh, will that require a change agent to change it or is it just where they land themselves now in their cycle of well, footy? They've certainly loaded up, haven't they? They've, they've pushed all the chips into the middle of the table. The way they recruited at the end of last year. But is that philosophical or just circumstantial because of where they find themselves? I think so. I would think circumstantial, but I'm happy for you two to... So, yeah, I'd, I, I don't think they need a, a change agent to change that necessarily. It will just change yep. as the their premiership hopes and chances ebb and flow in the natural cycle of footy. But he has been a, a pretty bold change maker mm. when he's worn the AFL hat. Yep. It, it's different in the sense, though, that I, it's a homecoming for Steve Hocking. So, yes, he's a change agent, but he also knows what he's mm. going to because he's he's going back to Geelong. He, he would know how the place works. So maybe he doesn't come in um, necessarily – all guns blazing to change things because he, he has seen how successful it's been up close. The change might be for him. He, he's now on the other half of the soft cap debate. Yeah. Uh, he's the one that sort of probably drove that component of it. We, we spoke about it a little bit off air. What will he do something different to manage that, well, that, that part of it and to, to try and – he must have a, something in the back of his mind to go, well, if I think I only need three assistants and two fitness. Yeah. And that might be the change he might be looking to make more than just personnel, the, 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 you know, those names the, on the, the sheet. on the list, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's how we operate and what we do. So that might be the sort of thing he brings in to Geelong that's a little bit little bit different because every club's looking at that, no doubt. Every club now that the soft cap has changed where it is looking, how can we do to, to – not multitask, almost multitask roles to get people that can do multiple things. So that might be the strength he'll bring. Yeah, when you were talking there, Leper, and I'm thinking about your original question, Murray, uh, is this the opportunity for him to start implementing a sort of a co-coaching type model? So we know that the Leper we've been talking off air, the job of the coach and how huge it is and why an assistant coach is not always a, a great pathway into being the senior coach. And can we go down the path? So all coaches have got different strengths and you can't be good at everything, but do we have a coach that's in charge of managing the people and the high performance and then you have a match day coach so I think of the easy example for me Simon Goodwin out of the box on the bench he's a very touchy-feely coach mm. very emotionally connected to his players but up in the box I'm sure Adam Uze is doing a lot of the strategy and the match day coaching there and so this this stuff's not necessarily talked about but internally a lot of clubs have um coaches in place to do different roles and the coach can't be an expert on everything. They delegate a lot of the technical and the strategy to line coaches. Mm. And it depends who you've got in your coach's box and what you need. You've got a highly experienced coach. He can probably handle a few more of the other pressure situations like selection potentially. You can you can make mistakes in selection. So you you're can. talking about Longmire and Pike and things yes, like that, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. So that they're experienced coaches that probably like will make less mistakes in selection, less mistakes in the coach's box as in far as direction. So, yeah, it depends who you got around you is, to, I guess, what you need. And, and Chris Scott's obviously a highly experienced coach. So, um, you know, he, he may need other things around him different to what David Teague needs. When was the last time? And you talk I'm, – I'm fascinated. You, you've been mentioning soft cap a lot this year and the impact that it's having, you know, broadly speaking, at club level. When was the last time that there was a real stop and think about the structure and what it looks like? Are we doing this the right way? Is the way that it's... 
It's interesting you mentioned Melbourne. You bring Mark Williams into the mix as well. Mm. So you're talking about Uze, Goodwin, Williams. They do feel very independent of one another in terms of the roles that they've got, but the sum of the parts is, is speaking for itself at the moment. So maybe Melbourne's done it without announcing to the world that they've done it. I just think it's a really important conversation that you shouldn't always just accept the status quo. And one of the challenges in football clubs is we do things because that's how it's always been done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the best way to do things. So whether you you change your model and your hierarchy or not, I think it's still important to have those conversations maturely about well, what is the best way to create mm. a high-performance environment? Is it having one coach or is it having a, a footy manager, a high-performance manager and a coach or co-coaching model? different models all the discussion i think um in getting back to the soft cap i hope it all comes across the right way it's not about paying one particular individual more money for for mine to me it's a little bit like we want to build a million dollar house for 500 grand we want to do it on the cheap almost that's the potential danger when that happens you get a year down the track and you go oh now i can't afford that stone bench top we're not using food analogies anymore. Oh, we really can't. Evolved. We can't now. Yeah. You know all the things we wanted at the start. We can't now have. And then you're left with, oh, we better go back and change some stuff. We better change our budget. We better change what we're doing. My great worry is we get a year or two down the track and go, oh, we shouldn't have got rid of that fitness guy because now we're getting all hammies. We shouldn't have got rid of the, the sports psych because now we've got a lot of mental issues. We shouldn't have got. You know, I don't want us to get down the tr- and go. We're doing this and then work out that. It was really unrealistic at the start, the budget. We, we, we thought we could do this in because I spoke to a board member recently and he said to me categorically, and I won't say his name, any dollar you spend over half a million bucks on your senior coach, it, it affects your whole, whole soft cap, your whole footy department. So that, that's say not, that again. Say, anything say, over a half a million dollars, yep. it, you're really affecting your footy department. It's starting, you've got to have to give and take something. So that's almost your one to four year coach, so to speak, limit. So you're talking Alistair Clarkson. Yeah. So that extra, I don't know, let's say it's half a million bucks. Of course it is. That is that is taking out of Hawthorne's cap. So you think a reason, not saying that is the reason why Sam Mitchell's there, but he's that little change well, we put has that probably did... saved him five $600,000. So, a year. So 1.5 over three, yeah, over the three years that Mitchell signed for. We put that to Justin Reeves on the day it was announced CEO, and he categorically said it wasn't even a factor. Now, I feel like you've got to say that, right? So I'm with you. If you're at a restaurant and you see the steak's $55. (laughs) Yep. You see the steak's 55 and you go, but I really like the porterhouse. You're not thinking at all in the back of your brain it's 55 bucks. Everyone does it. And and the other meal's 25. You you know that that's a factor in your decision. Yep. Irrespective of whether you want to admit to it or not. Every now and again you go, I'm having a steak. I'm paying the 55 bucks. I'm going for it. But... In the current environment, we're probably choosing the, the seafood linguine at 25. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, because it still tastes pretty good. So Clarko's the porterhouse, Sam Mitchell's the, the seafood linguine. And, and it's still pretty good oh, for linguine. Who needs a rever for Harley Heaven? The Harley Davidson Pan America is coming to Harley Heaven in Melbourne, Dandenong and Ringwood. Visit harleyheaven.com.au for details. Right, the Harley Heaven rev up. Take your pick. Frio after a poor loss last week. Uh, they need to get their finals hopes alive against the Hawks this afternoon. Or the Eagles, despicable against the Swans last Sunday. They got north on Monday night. Surely they, well, they'll win. Who, who deserves – would you be wasting a real bake on the West Coast Eagles this week? Yeah, I think I'm going the other team. The Fremantle. other team for oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, they're the ones. They're playing a team that's below them. Another team that they I think should beat yep. uh, away from home in Tassie. You can't get further away from Fremantle than Tasmania. 
a ground that they, and conditions they don't really like playing at. Never so, won there. Yeah, so you know, it's it's one of those things where it's like you know what the only reason you don't like playing in Tassie because it's cold and you're from Perth. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, yep. roll your yep. roll your sleeves up, get dirty. Honestly, some dirt on you. Get it old fashioned with them, and, and just just be ugly and messy and win the game for crying out loud. We're better than Hawthorne. That, yeah. that should be as simple as it should be yep. for them. Yeah, I think there's a bit of old fashioned stuff needed at West Coast as well. So Adam Simpson, I love as a as a coach. So uh, footy IQ off the charts. But I, under, I understand that, um, you know, tackling's not a big part of their game, that they prefer an uncontested game. But when they get an opportunity to tackle and tackles get broken like they do, I just hope that they've had a really um, challenging week on the track. Invest in a tackling coach, invest in some training standards. And, you know, when it's your time to tackle or put your head over the footy, mm. that you produce a little bit more than you are at the moment. It's on you, Frio. That's the Harley Heaven Rev Up. A couple of little bits and pieces. We've got about five minutes to go before, we, uh, before I vacate. The other four, 14 teams in the AFLW comp days, I'll go to you. The other four teams submitted their licences variously this week. So Hawthorne, Essendon, Sydney and Port Adelaide have now made their pitch to come in. They all want to come in now. They want, to, they want the comp to go from 14 to 18 for the 2022 season. Should it go from 14 to 18 next year? Is it about representation more than it is about the player stocks being able to adequately fill 18 teams and have the requisite sort of standard of football being played? Oh, I think probably the AFL's in a position, or well, it sounds like they can't now dribble the licences out. It disadvantages those left out too much in in that complete 12-month calendar of yep. a footy club. So I, uh, my suspicion is they'll all come in in the same season. I mean, you could get bogged down to, into yep. whether it's right or wrong. I don't worry so much about the talent. You get out to junior clubs at the moment and the talent is coming because they've played the game with the ambition of playing in AFLW for their whole careers now. So the, the player that's coming is very different and the talent, which you see already, as soon as the draft picks come in, your top few they can impact straight away. They're in your best 22 the minute they walk in the door. So that's only going to snowball now that there's more of those girls coming through. My hesitancy with it is that it feels like we're all going back to the same well Mm. (laughs) um, in terms of resourcing. So if four clubs come in, that comes at a massive cost. And I think we need to get the conditions right for the players that are in the game right now and the the staffing to make sure that it's sustainable because I, I I feel like, the amount of work and the expectation on players and coaches and staff in AFLW programs now has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that it's sustainable to keep doing it the way that it's re- resourced now with how much the AFLW game's grown. So me, from where I sit, mm-hmm. as much as I can see why, why clubs want to get in now, I think we have to get how it's operating right before we invite more in to do it this way. Maybe we need to sit down and work yeah. out how much money there is in footy. How much money well, is there your, in this game? To your question before about when was the last time we sat back and went, clear the canvas yep. and let's rebuild it. I'm sure there's been elements to that in the last few years because there's been huge change at footy clubs. They're now managing four teams. They've got mm. AFL, AFLW, VFL, VFLW. Yep. So the 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 look of your footy club has changed completely. So if they haven't done it already in some capacity, it should be right now. Let's work out if there's whatever the number is. I wouldn't even I wouldn't even have a venture to have a guess. 
But are we spending our money in footy in the right places? That's what I we're, we're asked. We want we want more players to come into the game by virtue of what you just said, days. They need more support. We've got soft cap issues because of COVID. Let's just make yeah. sure we're spending whatever money there is in footy. Let's make sure we're spending it the right so way. So you're saying let's do an external review. Well, well the, no, no. The, well, the, the footy club external review. Well, reading, let's lay it over the whole comp I'm, I'm, and say reading, this is how much money we've got. Yeah. What's the best? I Most think, efficient way to spend it. I think that's it. correct. I that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually think that's the problem, is the fact that the AFL are everything to this game. They they run game development and put money in there. Um, they almost fund, you know, what's how many clubs a year? Ten a year? There's there's only ever six-odd six teams that make money any yep. particular year. Yep. So there's ten they've got to fund. And then, they, then they've got to say, well, hang on a minute. You need a new CEO. Well, we're funding you. We've got to, we've got to now be a part of that management decision. So they're not just a body that just manages the teams. Go to the States. There's no growing the game money. They're, they're people that just own the Dallas Cowboys, that's, yeah. and, and that's it. And they, just, they yeah. and they just they just worry about their little patch. And if they get in trouble, they relocate. Yeah. As simple as that. And people get together, and then that's the only time they get together to make those decisions, which happens. We we are so broad. It's got to the point now where Gil's sitting there handing out pocket money to now people running AFLW. Like that's the level of that, micromanagement well, now we've got to. And where is this going to stop? This is the thing for me with the soft cap. Stop telling people how to spend your money. You know, like there was a there was a rumor. Hopefully, it's just a rumor that they, they might get increased by half a million or whatever they're going to do. But they want to tell the clubs how to spend it. Yep. If that is the case, we are getting the micromanagement madness. And like, what what point does it stop? Is it going to get to the point now where you ring up Damien Harwick? Why did you buy that coffee, Damien, on the club card? <laughs> like, like seriously, like it's a bit of a worry. I think they I think they've got to take a step back and give more, bit more trust to the clubs and and work out a mechanism and a system that allows all these things to happen and let them make their own business decisions. It's a bit there, I reckon. We've left mm. that to the last minute. We should have said, we wow. should have done that right at the top, Craig. <laughs> And wondered that that could have been two hours of converse, conversing mm. right there. I reckon. I would love to see the other four clubs get an AFLW license, and and the reason for that is I saw firsthand Daisy the impact of having female footballers in the Melbourne Football Club environment, and even in the coaching area, Michelle Cowan was absolutely sensational. And then I go down and spend a little bit of time watching Hawthorne VFLW uh, team tra- um, train. You got Beck Goddard there. Already building a team yep. for the AFLW. Christina uh, Politajko has won a scholarship, a coaching scholarship of AFL assistant coach there. So developing these female coaches is critical. Uh, give us a call on the open line. There's been a lot there. one 36 for Southern Phone. Switch to Southern Phone. Simplify your life with Southern Phone mobile plans. Leper, I look forward to seeing you jump. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Out of a plane one of these days. Days, good to see you. Craig, see you soon.